There's some natural immunization. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, I can cut out all the times I mess up on the <laughs> mispronunciations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but mine never get cut out. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. Your weekly adventure into the fun and fascinating world of Star Trek, the original series. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and fellow Star Trek enthusiast, Dan Calzaretta. Happy Sunday, Dan. Yeah, we're recording early this week because I have a little trip to visit family. But being the uh, dedicated podcaster that you are, I want to make sure our friends and fans are not upset with us anymore. You uh, are biting the bullet and recording this so that we can get it out on time and not do another repeat of one of our shows. Yeah, I'm actually more worried about you being mad at me, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> but I am flying and I'm going to wear my Damn It, Jim, the podcast polo shirt on the plane, Dana. Awesome. I, do you think you'll get through uh, TSA okay with that on? <laughs> I got the feeling it's going to go something like this. Okay. TSA agent, are you one of the hosts? of the podcast? Me. Yes. TSA agent, go back to this room back here. We need to have a further conversation with you. <laughs> and you're going to miss your flight. <laughs> <laughs> me. Total silence for like a week. No one hears from me. <laughs> Remember last week we did the whole good news, bad news thing, and I had the bad news that might become good news about the wig? I, I can see where this is going. Yeah, go ahead. At this point, it's officially bad news, Dana. We have not heard from anyone who purchased the wig to say, hey, you know, it's in the mail. I'd just like to talk to whoever bought it. Yeah. Find out what they're doing with it. Can we come and try it on at some point? Yeah. So Yeah. I think that'd be great. I'd love to know too. Like what what would drive someone to spend thirteen thousand five hundred dollars on an old William Shatner hairpiece. So shall we start talking about uh, last week's show? Yeah, let's do that. Well, last week we had, uh, it was by any other name, and we did get some comments on that. Dan Basta said, average episode, not good, not bad, just average. And I think he's talking about the actual Star Trek episode, not our podcast. <laughs> I hope so. I would hope that's the case. <laughs> Carrie Henderson said, uh, I hope he knows that this is not real food. And I, that's, uh, I think, uh, what's the guy's name? Tomar or Tamar? That, you know, he was eating the uh, cubes of food that uh, Kirk and Spock and Scotty and McCoy were eating. Right. No one commented, though, about the comment I made about, you know, just wait till he poops. And like I said, if he finds out he's lactose intolerant or something, you know, wow, that's bad. Just being human. Richard Bruce said, ooh, Kirk's quote-unquote special apologies. <laughs> and our friend Steve Hoses shared an autographed picture of Warren Stevens, who played Rojan, that uh, he'd probably uh, picked up at a convention. So I appreciate the uh, share on that. And then last but not least, one of our friends, Zach O'Donnell, said, love this episode. Could be because it has the most explicit scene showing that Kirk banged an alien with the bedroom <laughs> shot of him putting on his boot. Pretty gutsy for late 60s. Can't recall seeing anything like that on Gunsmoke. Dan, I don't remember that. I'm going to go back and look at the episode, Dana. I can't remember that either. Yeah, I mean, I want to remember that, but... Uh... <laughs> All right. Do you have any uh, comments, Dan? 
Dana, I do. On YouTube, J.D. Lewis commented about the episode by any other name. He said, I have the same problem with this episode that I have with The Squire of Gothos. The producers couldn't decide if the episode was a drama or a comedy, so the producers split the difference and made the episode both, trying to please everyone and ending up pleasing no one in the process. Yeah, it felt like a lot of indecision going on in the production of this show. JD also commented about the episode Return to Tomorrow. According to several reference works, this episode went through multiple drafts with multiple writers, including Gene Roddenberry, which is probably why the episode's writing was so substandard. Too many cooks spoiling the broth. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Just like to remind people if they do want to call, please call before Tuesday because that's when we normally record. And it's great if we can get those messages sometime before that so we can incorporate them into the show. And if you do want to call, the phone number is 509-676-6298. We'd love to hear from you. This Damage Gym podcast is sponsored by Photobucket. Photobucket is an American company with over 100 million registered members and hosts over 10 billion images. And Dana, you know there's a lot of Star Trek memorabilia out there on Photobucket. Dan, you want to be sure your photos and videos are safe. Photobucket gives you one secure place to store your photo and video memories. It's easy to use and even easier to get started. Just go to photobucket.com and sign up and you'll be storing photos in minutes. Use the Damn It Gym promo code when you sign up and get one month of Photobucket for free. Free, Dana? That's a great way to try out Photobucket. That's right, Dan. For a limited time, Photobucket is offering one terabyte of data to store all your Star Trek memories for just $5. Photobucket just gets better and better all the time. Photobucket has a variety of ways to help you manage your photos and videos. So check it out. Go to photobucket.com today and start saving your memories. Okay, Dan, let's dive into Season 2, Episode 23, The Omega Glory. We see the Enterprise approaching planet Omega-4. Sulu says there's another ship orbiting the planet. They identify the ship as the USS Exeter. Kirk says he remembers that the Exeter was in this area six months or so ago but he doesn't recall any trouble. They try to hail the ship, but get no response. Kirk asks for Spock, McCoy, and Lieutenant Galway to join him in the transporter room. In the transporter room, Spock informs Captain Kirk that they're going to beam into engineering, and Kirk orders the phasers on heavy stun. Why into engineering? Why not? Yeah, but wouldn't you beam onto the bridge? You know, maybe they want to see if something's wrong with the engines. Can't they just scan for that? Like, how, hey, Scotty, how are the engines? <laughs> oh, they're all right, cop them. <laughs> That sucked. So they beam over to the Exeter, and Spock finds a uniform with just crystals where the body should be. Mm -hmm. McCoy does a reading with his tricorder, and I thought he was going to give some kind of report, but he doesn't say anything. Mum's the word. Mabing is the word. <laughs> Maybe that's why he didn't say anything. At this point, he's just gun shy. You know, he's just afraid someone's going to go give him the Mabinga treatment. Yeah, exactly. So Kirk makes a call via the intercom, but gets no response. We see several shots of empty corridors and rooms. Spock says they're on the lower decks and haven't found anyone, just uniforms. Kirk and McCoy said they're going to meet him on the bridge. Kirk says the ship was captained by Ron Tracy. Captain Ron. Do you ever see Captain Ron? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> 
So anyway, uh, Kirk says the ship was captained by Captain Ron Tracy, one of the most experienced officers in all of Starfleet. Galloway and Spock are on the bridge. Galloway reports the helm was left on automatic. Is that like cruise control? Oh, that's a good question, Tana. <laughs> I would I would think so. There's more uniforms with just crystals where the bodies should be. McCoy finally reports that the crew never left. He says the crystals are what's left of the human body when you take away the water. The human body is 96% water, and so when you take that away, three or four pounds of chemicals. We were talking about this last week. We were, and we just couldn't remember how much would be there. And by the way, McCoy is wrong. How much is it? The body is uh, 70% water. Oh, right. Because it's like about the same as the planet, 70% water. Yeah. And is that uh, fresh water or salt water there, Dana? Depends on how much salt you've taken in, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's surprising that he would get that the writers would get that so wrong. Wouldn't you like call somebody and, you know, like call your family doctor or something? Hey, I got a quick question. I'm writing an episode for Star Trek. And, you know, what's the human body? Like 80, 90% water? Yeah, 96%. Why? What'd you call down to Jim's bar? I mean, it's just crime. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 96% alcohol and 4% other stuff. So Spock finds the surgeon's log. They put it on the main screen. The surgeon says, if you come aboard this ship, you're dead men. He warns them not to go back to to their ship. He says they need to go down to the planet. And he starts to say something about Captain Ron, and then he falls out of his chair. Screaming in agony. Yeah. And then they Kirk looks down at the floor, and you see the uniform with the uh, salt deposit all around. So, Were you looking for stains on the carpet? I was. Yeah, me too. So. I only saw a few <laughs> minor ones. I think the carpet cleaners had come through. I think they put the uniform over where the big stains are. They could have done that too. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good point. So Kirk and the others beam down to the planet and see a man about to be executed. A woman is screaming, trying to get free as the man is forced onto a chopping block. Uh, the man's kind of fighting these guys and the landing party advances. And then the executioner turns the axe towards Kirk when all of a sudden the voice says, put the axe away. And Kirk turns to see a man in Starfleet uniform. And Kirk says, it's Captain Tracy. I noticed they had a basket for the head to fall into as well by the chopping block. Did you see that? They'd done this before. But there was no blood. I did look very carefully at the basket. There was no blood in the basket. So maybe they just had a new one. Maybe they get a a new basket for everybody that gets their head chopped off. So it's, you know, kind of a parting gift. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Tracy shakes Kirk's hand and says, I knew someone would come looking for us. I'm just sorry it had to be you. It's like, nice to see you too. Tracy then tells Wu, no more executions. Says, lock the savages away. And he's talking about the guy with the blonde hair and the animal skin that he's wearing. Wu kind of argues and says, the landing party has fireboxes. And Tracy tells him to follow orders. They take the man dressed in animal skins and the woman away. And they're just like grunting the whole time, right? They're not speaking any words that we can understand. Yeah, no, When it was funny because uh, when they have this whole exchange, you hear this like, I was like, (laughs) I thought I was watching part of Young Frankenstein or something. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it sounds like me when I'm constipated. Oh my God, not the poop jokes again. Not the poop (laughs) jokes. Okay, that's the last poop joke for this whole entire episode. And I can't understand why North Shore Diapers doesn't want to be a sponsor. (laughs) uh... (laughs) 
Captain Tracy tells the uh, landing party that the prisoners are called Yang. And he says there are hordes down here. Spock says, interesting that they know about phasers. Tracy explains that the uh, planet seemed harmless. They beamed down and met with the combs, and they were seemed friendly enough. He says, I stayed here while my landing party went back to the ship. He says, unfortunately, they had taken back an unknown disease. And he gets all serious and says, my crew, my entire crew, gone. Tracy says, I'm infected, and so are you. There's some natural immunizations here. None of us will ever leave this planet, he says. You're stranded here forever. So we get the uh, captain's log where Kirk is explaining uh, what has happened. And uh, he says, although it appears the infection may strand us here the rest of our lives, I face an even more difficult problem, a growing belief that Captain Tracy has been interfering with the evolution of life on this planet. It seems impossible. The star captain's most solemn oath is that he will give his life, even his entire crew, rather than violate the prime directive. <coughs> Mm, yeah (laughs) Yeah. how many times does kirk what's the count at that uh kirk's violated the prime directive i think we're at eight a lot whatever it is and here's the other thing about that statement if you're stuck on that planet I mean, what are you going to do? But yeah, how could you help but influence the culture, Dana? So next we see McCoy working over a machine. He reports to Uhura uh, his findings and says that he can use another blood analyzer. He turns to Kirk and says, we definitely show a massive infection. Massive. Yeah, massive. Massive. I mean, that's what's uh, an infection is an infection, right? So, but the way he just said it, massive. Kirk says, "I don't think we'll have time to isolate it." Well, who's the doctor here? You or? <laughs> McCoy says it could take months, years. He says it can, it could be anything. But the infection resembles one developed on Earth in the late 1990s during their bacteriological warfare experiments. Then he says, "Hard to believe we were once foolish enough to play around with that." So then Spock comes in and he's carrying Galloway. And Spock says, uh, the Yang Lance. And he helps Galloway to, like, sacks on the floor to lay down. Spock says that Tracy was right. The Yang are vicious and brutal, and they are massing for an attack. Hold on, hold on a second, Dana. But he calls them savages. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I mean, it's it's very, that's a very loaded term. They may, maybe they're aggressive or they're brutal, but savages? But I just can't see Spock doing that. Yeah, well, he did. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> So he says, there must be thousands of them out there. Then he says, Tracy did lie about one important matter. And he holds forth some like battery packs. Mm -hmm. And Spock says, reserve belt packs for the phaser. He says, a small attack on this village was turned back by Captain Tracy and his phaser. Several hundred Yang died. We get this idea that Tracy's kind of, you know, siding with the combs. I mean, talk about now he's really interfering with what's going on there. Yeah. So McCoy steps up and argues that Tracy lost his crew and he wanted to help the peaceful people and Spock reminds Kirk he just kind of ignores McCoy <laughs> that the regulations are quite harsh but if he doesn't do something he will be as guilty as Tracy McCoy argues that they are trapped here and it won't do any good to arrest Tracy at this point and Spock agrees somewhat but says they should confiscate Tracy's phaser so Kirk pulls out his communicator and he says I'll contact the ship Starfleet needs to know about this just as Tracy enters 
with Phaser drawn, and Tracy says, I'll be sending the next message to Starfleet. Galloway tries to pull his phaser, and Tracy fires at him, disintegrating him. So I, that brings up a question for me. Spock says that he saw a bunch of Yang bodies out there, and then the drained phaser packs, right? Yes. But yet, when Tracy shoots Galloway, he just disappears. So why were the Yang bodies still out there, and why didn't they just disappear like when anyone else gets zapped with the phaser? Yeah, that was my question as well. Oh, so we're both on the same wavelength there. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, actually, it happens more often than not. So. Yeah, I know, it does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which it is scary, yeah. As we know, there are several different settings on the phaser. So it would be kill slash leave body. Yeah. Because maybe on that planet, you know, there's a very strong mortician's union. The gravedigger's union. The gravedigger's yeah. Diggers, that's a better, yeah, the Grave Diggers Union, yeah. That's what I think it is. Yeah, good explanation. Okay, let's move on. So the Combs move into the room behind Tracy, and they take the phasers from Kirk and Spock and McCoy. Tracy calls up to the ship and tells them that the landing party has taken ill, and they are all unconscious. As he is talking, Kirk tries to call out to Sulu, and he's hit from behind and knocked out. Tracy resumes the call, saying that Kirk is feverish and delirious. So the next thing we see is Kirk's tied up on the floor and a comb guard is kind of walking circles around him. And Kirk tries to trip the guard, but before he can do anything more, Tracy enters with his phaser aimed at Kirk. Tracy dismisses the guard and he sits down to talk to Kirk. Kirk says, Captain Ronald Tracy as per Starfleet Command, Regulation 7, Paragraph 4, and Tracy cuts him off. Those were the first words duty required you to say to me, and you said them. You're covered. Now, suppose we get on to the next subject. We can see that uh, Tracy's got total disregard for Starfleet anymore. At the same time, we see Kirk is trying to loosen the bonds on his wrists, and Kirk finally just says, why? Tracy says, no one on this planet has ever had any kind of disease. How long could a man live if disease were erased? Tracy says, virtual immortality. And he says, we must have a doctor determine the cause. And Kirk realizes Tracy is in it for the profit. He tells Kirk to inform the ship that the situation is hopeless and send them on their way. And when we're ready, we'll bargain for a whole fleet of ships and they'll do it. Kirk says he'll think it over. Then he gets his hands free and attacks Tracy. They fight. Kirk's like smacking him, hitting him in the chest and gut and stuff. And right. Tracy's like smiling. Yeah. He's got like this weird smile on his face. Seems like he's enjoying the fight. And the cool thing too was there were no stunt doubles in this fight at all. Yeah. I thought it was really good. There was a bunch of flipping and, you know, hitting and stuff. I thought that this was actually one of the best fight scenes I think we've seen in any episode so far. Yeah. So Tracy defeats Kirk. So we go to the jailhouse. The Yang man is growling. McCoy and Spock are in the next cell to the Yang man. And then as uh, they approach, the Yang reaches out through the bars at Kirk. Tracy says, still think the prime directive works here? Kirk says he doesn't have the wisdom or the right to interfere. Tracy orders Kirk put in the cage with the Yang. And immediately, he starts fighting with the Yang. The woman that's in the cage jumps on too, and Spock just kind of like looks on with curiosity. So then the Yang man tries to choke Kirk. Kirk keeps fighting in the Yang. He finally does a judo flip on the guy, and then the woman backs up against the bars, and Spock reaches across from his cell and does a Vulcan nerve pinch. And she passes out, and the Yang goes over to the woman. Thinking maybe she's even dead or something. Yeah, he's checking her out, making sure she's okay. Well, Kirk was checking her out too, but... So Spock is working on one of the bars in the window to try to loosen it and uh, get out of the cell. Spock says, once uh, a considerable civilization here, the only reasonable explanation is a war. 
nuclear holocaust or bacteriological devastation. And Kirk keeps telling him to work on the window. He says, if we're ever going to regain our freedom. And the Yang man all of a sudden goes, freedom? <laughs> that sounded exactly like the guy in the show. The Yang man says that is a Yang worship word. And then he says, uh, you live with the combs. And Kirk says, but I'm a prisoner of the combs, as you are. And he goes to the window and tries to loosen the bar. And then the Yang guy walks over and starts turning the, the bars in the window. And you can see some of like the mortar starting to fall out, like it's actually working. Yeah, they get one bar free and Kirk turns around, goes, Spock, we'll have you out in a minute. And the Yang guy smacks Kirk over the back of the head with this bar. Now that would knock you out. I think it could actually kill him. (laughs) (laughs) So we see Kirk on the floor and then the camera kind of pans up to the window and we see that there's no bars left and the man and the woman are gone. So later, Kirk wakes up. Spock says he's been out for like seven hours and eight minutes or something like that. Kirk says, I'll have you out in a minute. So we go to the lab where McCoy is working. The guard there opens up the door and sees Kirk, and then Spock gives him the Vulcan nerve pinch. Spock tries to come up with a way to communicate with the ship, while McCoy tells Kirk that he's convinced that once there was a frightening biological war that existed here. And he says the virus still exists. Then over the years, Nature built up these natural immunized. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you ever read this? So he's convinced that there was once a frightening biological war. He says the virus still exists. Then over the years, nature built up these natural resistant agents in the food, the water, and the soil. So Spock working over a I don't know what he's doing. He's on. He's like on the blood analysis machine. Yeah, he's trying to turn that into a communicator. <laughs> Just like in Gilligan's Island, where the professor tried to turn a coconut and a banana skin into some god, who knows what. Yeah. So Spock says, war created an imbalance and nature counterbalanced it. I like that idea. Yeah, I could totally see that. I read a book once that had that as its theme. It was a nonfiction book uh, speculating what would happen if the human race just disappeared. Like not because of a nuclear war, because obviously that would impact nature. But if the human race just disappeared, how long would it take for like plants to take over and buildings to crumble and all that? It was actually a pretty fascinating book. Kirk says there must have been something here, a disease the, the landing party carried back to the ship. McCoy says if they had just stayed a little bit longer, They never would have died. The immunizing agents needed time to work. So McCoy is saying no one needed to die. We're okay. Yeah. And Kirk says, then we can go back to the ship. And he says, what about the longevity of the people? And McCoy states... That's survival of the fittest because their ancestors who had survived had to have superior resistance. And they built up these powerful protective antibodies in the blood during the wars. Now, if you want to destroy a civilization or a whole world, your descendants might develop a longer life, but I hardly think it's worth it. One of McCoy's best statements, I thought. Yes, exactly. Kirk says, then anything developed here would be useless. And McCoy says, Lengthen lives, poppycock. I can do more for you if you just eat right and exercise regularly. It's my doctor tells me all the time. I'll tell you, Nashville set us all back about a decade. (laughs) We're still trying to recover from Memphis just with all the fried food we ate. Memphis? Yeah, we went to Memphis, what, four years ago, five years ago? Oh, man. All the barbecue? Oh, that barbecue was good, Dana. The first night we were there, the fried chicken? Oh, God, the fried chicken. Gus's world-famous fried chicken. I still have breading in my arteries. (laughs) (laughs) 
they draw some blood and they're like there's chunk there's chunks of stuff in here what oh my gosh you gotta admit though that chicken was oh great. it was that was top notch yeah oh man i'm drooling as we speak i can't get good fried chicken here I, in fact i think fried chicken is a difficult thing to make it home but even if you go out to get it people have to have some experience i think oh yeah you know popeyes is out here and that's about the only place i would go get fried chicken so occasionally i'll crave fried chicken there's only kentucky fried chicken out here maybe once every two years i'll uh, submit to the craving i'll go get a piece of kentucky fried chicken and i eat it and for the first like minute it's like, oh my God, the fried chicken. And then the regret and pain sets in. And like the next day, I've got the worst freaking headache. It's all the grease and salt. Can we get sued by Kentucky Fried Chicken or could they be a sponsor potentially? I think we shot the sponsorship uh, in the head. Yeah, that's not <laughs> happening, but... <laughs> Longevity, what a concept. The idea of taking pictures and videos is built around the concept that those images will last for generations to come. Do you want to risk your pictures and videos to a virus on your computer? Photobucket is a secure place that maintains your photos for years to come. Since 2003, Photobucket has been safeguarding memories with a backup cloud storage. We're talking over 17 billion photos and videos from around the world, all perfectly preserved while maintaining a carbon-neutral footprint. That's right, Dana. The pictures you take on your wedding day will still look good and new when you're celebrating your 25th anniversary. Make sure you save your photos and videos to a safe place. Photobucket is that place. Go to Photobucket today and sign up and get your one month free when you use the Dammit Gym promo code. Longevity matters. By the way, how long will Spock, Kirk, and McCoy be stuck on this planet? So Spock says he has arranged for crude communication with the ship. Then suddenly, Spock is hit by a phaser beam, and he's knocked down to the floor. We see Tracy in the doorway. He says, Kirk, the savage in the cell with you. Did you set him free? You sent him, Kirk. You sent him to warn the tribes. The Yangs must have been warned. They sacrificed hundreds just to draw us out in the open. He said, we killed thousands, and still they came. McCoy and Kirk are really paying attention to Spock. And McCoy says, Spock will live, but I need to get him back to the ship. Tracy says, that's not possible. McCoy and Kirk tell him they're fully immunized. They can beam him up anytime. And Tracy says, you've isolated the serum? And Kirk gets up and screams at Tracy. He says, there's no serum. There's no miracles. There's no immortality here. All this is for nothing. Then uh, Tracy orders Kirk outside. Outside, Tracy says, call your ship and send down more phasers. The Yang will attack again, and that's our only chance. So Kirk calls up to the Enterprise, and he's got this, like, smirk on his face. And he asks for the phasers, but he seems very casual about it all. And he's talking to Sulu, right? First, he's talking to Uhura. Oh, sure, yeah. And then uh, she looks unsure, and then Sulu comes over and says, we can't send phasers down without verification. And Sulu says they have volunteers ready to beam down. And then they uh, end the call, and Kirk knocks the phaser out of Tracy's hand. They fight briefly. Kirk gets knocked down, and he runs away. Tracy picks up the phaser and fires, just missing Kirk. Kirk runs, and uh, next thing we see, he's back near the chopping block. And Tracy comes up behind him and aims his phaser. He goes to shoot, but the phaser is out of its charge. Tracy picks up the axe and he goes after Kirk. 
Kirk jumps him and knocks him down. Suddenly, several spears are pointed at Kirk's back, and he turns around to see the Yang man and his tribe. So we cut to later in a room where there are several Yang, including an old dude. The Yang brings Spock in, and Spock says he's weak, but not in difficulty. And McCoy says that Spock needs medical attention. Spock agrees, but says the need for departure is even more critical. And all the Yangs are saying, wait, we saw last week's episode. You're just faking. (laughs) Fool me once, shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) It is written one of our sacred words. Fool me once. (laughs) Kirk says uh, the Yang developed and donned animal skins after the war and started over. Then Kirk says... Oh, God, Dana, come on. Red Sox? (laughs) Dana, didn't you find this ridiculous? Oh, I I actually laughed. Yeah. And I remember seeing this as a kid and being like, oh, wow, Yang, Yanks, Yankees, that makes perfect sense. Oh, yeah, I get it. You know, I was like, you know, all excited. Now I'm watching and I'm like practically doubled over, falling on the floor because it's ridiculous. Well, remember last week you went to your biology teacher and asked, Hey, if you got reduced to a block, would that be real? Did you go into your history teacher and kind of bring up this episode and say, hey, what do you think about this? No. <laughs> you mean the biology teacher incident was just that that was the one and only time you're like, That yeah. was a one off after that. I never asked my teachers anything ever again. Yeah, so. <laughs> they asked you a few things like, uh, Dana, would you p- please get out? Dana, what are you doing? Stop sleeping in my class. And, yeah. So. <laughs> The Yang leader stands up and says, that which is ours is ours again. Brilliant, brilliant writing. (laughs) So then a moment later, another guy comes walking down the hall and comes into the room and he's carrying a flag. Hmm, What kind of flag was it, Dana? (laughs) He's not just carrying any old flag, Dan. He's carrying an American flag. (laughs) And how about the music? Oh, yeah, it all changes. And it becomes part of the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, horrible, Dana, horrible. Because the band outside, even though these people barely talk, the band could play the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tracy says, uh, these people can be handled. She says, don't go against me or I'll drag you down with me. And then the Yang man says he is Cloud William, the chief and son of a chief, speaker of the holy words. He puts his hand over his heart and faces the flag (laughs) that they put into a stand. And he starts to speak. I plug you in him. This isn't one of my normal mispronunciations. Dana's saying it exactly how he says it in the show. (laughs) And Kirk realizes what he was saying, and he's saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, my God, Dana. And so Kirk adds the right words, and and Cloud stops. And the old man gets up and says, he just spoke the holy words. And Tracy steps forward and says, he was cast out. He's tricking you. He says, let your God strike me dead if I lie. But he won't, because I speak for Yang. And Yang. Ying and Yang. <laughs> he goes over to Spock and says, see his servant? Don't the Yang legends describe the, the servant of the evil one? And so Cloud picks up this giant holy Bible and he opens it up and just happens to know where to open it up to, by the way. Right. And there's an image of basically Spock as like Satan. And it's not the first time he's been referred to as like the devil. Even Kirk and McCoy made fun of him one time about it. But you mentioned that Cloud opened the book. Is he is he a good friend? You just call him by his first name now? Just Cloud? <laughs> <laughs> it's Cloud William. Do you want the full uh, full name? <laughs> no, no, no. Cloud's fine. The holy speaker of the bullshit chief thing. <laughs> 
Tracy says, you want more proof? And he points to Spock says, he has no heart. And this really seems to stir the Yangs. <laughs> yes, yeah, it did. Yeah, like, whoa, what? McCoy says, Vulcan anatomy is different. And guards bring Spock forward and Cloud William, <laughs> the speaker of the holy words, <laughs> puts his ear against Spock's chest. And also he pulls back and he says, he has no heart. Put your head down by his ass. He probably would have heard something. but. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't McCoy or even Spock say, well, listen here, it's just over a little bit. So the old man says, one of them lies. And Cloud says, greatest of holies, chiefs and sons may speak the words, but the evil one's tongue would surely turn to fire. He says, I will begin. You shall finish. It's like it's a quiz show all of a sudden. <laughs> and I don't even know how to get it on this. He says... E diplopnista norkin forkin perfected none. That's what. <laughs> and Kirk says those words are familiar. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard them on a podcast one time where no one could pronounce anything correctly. <laughs> That's what one of the guys sounds like all the time on the podcast. <laughs> and then Tracy steps up and he says, he's afraid to speak the word. Surely his tongue will burn with fire. So one of the guards puts a knife to Spock's throat and Kirk says, wait, don't your words say that good shall triumph over evil? So the next thing we see is a knife get thrust in the floor. In the background, Kirk and Tracy are bound together with their uh, two of their wrists. Cloud William gives the word and they begin fighting. McCoy turns to Spock and says, Spock, I've found that evil usually triumphs unless good is very, very careful. So McCoy has actually had a couple of good lines in this episode. I don't think he deserves to be Mabinga, do you? No, I, I think this is a Mabinga-free episode for him. Well, good for him. He's probably sick and tired of getting slapped. So Kirk and uh, Tracy struggle and they fight. And then Tracy's trying to drag Kirk towards the knife because the, the knife was like, you know, about 10 feet away from him. Right. Tracy, once again, seems to be winning. And McCoy turns to Spock again and says, we have to do something. And Spock replies, I'm open to suggestions, doctor. Then Spock looks at the woman, the same woman that had been in the jail with Kirk and Cloud, and he kind of stares at her. And we see that she's kind of affected. And McCoy asks what he's doing. And Spock says, I'm making a suggestion. So let me get this straight. Spock is using like mental telepathy? Yeah. Well, why wouldn't he have used this like since the first episode? He's used it a couple times now. I mean, but this is the first time where he's like staring at somebody. Well, there's no wall between them. Otherwise, he'd have his hands on the wall. <laughs> I don't know. The way they did the close-ups, too, of like their eyes, both Spock's yeah. eyes. And he looked like kind of like Bella Lugosi in Dracula. Yeah, he did. It was kind of like a horror movie. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Kirk and Tracy continue fighting. And finally, Tracy gets a hold of the knife. And we see Spock's eyes focused on the woman. She picks up the communicator and walks towards Spock, kind of like in a daze. So uh, she opens the communicator and we see Kirk is twisting Tracy's arm and he finally gets the knife free. So that means it's connecting with the ship, right? Yeah, like a dial-up modem, yeah. <laughs> Just slightly faster. 
Kirk takes the knife and puts, puts it to Tracy's throat. And Cloud says, kill him. It is written. Good must destroy evil. Kirk cuts the bindings that holds him and Tracy together. And just then, Sulu and the two security guards beam down. And did you notice it seemed like it took a long time for them to materialize? Yeah. I was thinking if, you know, the, I was a Yang and I was staying there and I saw these like apparitions coming. You've just been talking about the devil and everything. I probably would have picked up my spear and tried to kill these people. Kirk orders Tracy put under arrest and then Cloud drops to his knees in kind of like reverence of Kirk. And Kirk approaches him and Cloud says, you are a great God servant and we are your slaves. When you did not say the holy words of Eidplebnista, I doubted you. And Kirk says... I did not recognize those words. You said them so badly. This sounds like some of our listeners telling us about how we mispronounce things. And Kirk goes to the case that holds the document and he opens it. And they all seem like shocked. And they're like, only the chiefs can look at these. And Kirk says, this was not written for chiefs. And there's still this like grumbling going on. He says, hear me, hear this. Among my people, we carry many such words as this from many lands, many worlds. But wherever we have gone, no words have said this thing of importance in quite this way. Look at these three words written larger than the rest with a special pride never written before for a sense tall words proudly saying we the people and he says that what you'd call Eid Plebenista was not written for the chiefs or the kings or the warriors or the rich and powerful these words and the words that follow were not written only for the Yangs but for the Koms as well the Koms they must apply to everyone or they mean nothing do you understand I do not fully understand one named Kirk but the holy words will be obeyed I swear it how is this even possible? <laughs> I have so many questions. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's it's great William Shatner in. Oh, it was a Shat fest. Yes. And on the way that he's saying it and and gesticulating and it's over the top. Yeah. No, totally over the top. It reminded me of a Jim Carrey impression of William Shatner as James T. Kirk. I mean, just way over the top. I, and I think this is where a lot of that those impressions come from. I bet you're right. So Kirk hands the document back to Cloud, and Spock says there's no doubt about Tracy's guilt, but does our involvement also constitute a violation of the Prime Directive? Good question. And Kirk says, gentlemen, the fighting is over here. I suggest we leave them to discover their history and their liberty. And before they walk out, Kirk takes one look back at the American flag. <laughs> And then he leaves. But just the, like the pause and the music and the whole, you know, like he smiles at it. I mean, he's not even freaking American. He's a Canadian. <laughs> but Kirk was born in Iowa. Well, I know, but yeah, I guess it was actually pretty good acting then on Shatner's part where he could, you know, pull that off. Maybe they actually had a Canadian flag there and he was looking <laughs> at that and then they just edited in the American flag. And they had more like the Star Spangled Banner music going in the background. It was so bad, Dana. But that's how the show ends, Dan. Oh, thankfully. <laughs> Dana, you have some things to tell us about an actor in this episode. Yeah, Dan. Uh, Roy Jensen, he's the one that played Cloud Williams. A lot of people would recognize him. He shows up in literally hundreds of TV shows, especially Westerns, and numerous movies, including big movies like Chinatown, Soylent Green, The Wind and the Lion, Harper, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, Will Penny, Every Which Way But Loose. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm thinking he had to have been friends with Clint Eastwood because he appears in several Clint Eastwood movies in the 70s and 80s. Okay. Usually playing a heavy, a couple times playing a cop, kind of, you know, 
basic blue collar actor i think best way to describe him but i i think he did a good job in this it was neat seeing him he uh passed away in 2007 at the age of 80 so do you have anything you want to add dan yeah a couple of things tracy was played by Morgan Woodward. Now, I was like, this guy does a great job being crazy, you know? Well, he was also Simon Van Gelder in Dagger of the Mind. Yeah. I didn't recognize him at first. I mean, I'm like, wow, this guy is really good and he's crazy, but I had forgotten. And he was a crazy character in that episode too. Yeah, I think uh, he's, he's got a different kind of evil about him in this. And then the Yang Scholar, that guy with the beard, he was played by Morgan Farley. He was in Return of the Archons. He was one of the, like the elders or whatever they call oh, him. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that dude was born in 1898, Dana. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Is he still alive? Uh, he is. <laughs> not <laughs> if he was he would have found some of that serum long longevity <laughs> the woman who played sarah she's still alive yeah we should get her on the show she make any pornos she did not dana what about some dilemmas or themes in this episode yeah this is tough um I, I mean the big dilemma of course is how involved do they get and do they try to set things right or is that still going against the prime directive kirk of course always has a feeling that he can set things right how about you you have any thoughts on the themes or dilemmas yeah i think the dilemma is how did this episode ever get made okay once again it's the cold war we got the Yanks or the Americans and the comms or the communists. I mean, we've seen this already in several episodes, you know. And of course, America wins. The Yangs win. My dilemma was making it to the end of the episode. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as bad as some of the others. There were some good scenes in this episode, Dana. There were some good lines, some very good acting. But just the overall concept was kind of dumb, I thought. So, Dan, do you have any uh, best parts of the show? I actually do. You know, you might not think so from what I had said earlier, but one of the best things for me, Dana, was Morgan Woodward, who played Tracy, and William Shatner doing their own fight scenes. Both fights that they had in this episode. There was flipping, there was throwing. I mean, they were really well done. That was one of my best parts. How about for you, best part for you? Uh, the derelict ship and the dead crew. You know, it starts off as a mystery type thing, and I just, I, I was very, I was pulled in by that, by that storyline. Do you have another best part? Sulu kind of figuring out there's something going on and not sending the phasers down. I thought that was pretty astute of him. Dana, how about another best part for you? Sulu in charge on the ship. I like that fact that he's back. Dan, how about a worst part for you? Yeah, I had a, a lot to choose from, but this whole jingoistic message of this episode, you know, America's always going to triumph and this very simplistic Yankees versus communists and the whole parallel civilizations and same constitution and the same flag and the, oh, Dana, so much. How about a worst part for you? The immunity that comes from being on the planet longer. The crew of the Exeter would have been okay if they just stayed longer. That really bothered me. McCoy literally says if they just stayed a few more hours. Dan, do you have another worst part? When Cloud William is trying to read the preamble to the Constitution, it sounds like he's reading Latin. But when the camera shows the close-up of the words, there's no way to like mispronounce <laughs> those the way that he did. Yeah, I think they gave him a script and just said, just mumble through this. <laughs> Dana, how about another worst part? You know, the American flag, the Combs and the Yangs, the Constitution, Pledge of Allegiance. It just, it was so heavy handed. It just didn't need to be like that. 
Hey, Dana, what happened on this day in history? Dan, this was shown for the first time on March 1st, 1968. And the U.S. number one song is still Love is Blue by Paul Marriott and his orchestra. And in the U.K., uh, it's still Cinderella Rockefeller by Esther and Abby Ophram. And we both uh, watched the video of them singing. Yeah, it was actually a video from like 1968. I just have one question. What's wrong with the people in the U.K. that they had this as a number one song for <laughs> two weeks now. So bad. So bad, Dana. That song is so bad. Bad doesn't even begin to describe it. Yeah. I, I won't even send our listeners to go check this song out because it's just that bad. I'm not even going to put a link in the show notes, Dana. Okay. I'm over it. Okay, also on this day, Huntington, Indiana became the second city in the nation after Haleyville, Alabama, to begin operating a 911 emergency call system. So it's a few weeks later? About a month later, I think. Okay. Country musicians Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash were married in Franklin, Kentucky, with Merle Kilgore as the best man. Huh. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice's musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat was first performed as a 15-minute pop cantata at Colette Court School in London. And I found that I forgot to mention something from last week's show, Dan, which was uh, February 23rd, 1968. Mm -hmm. On February 22nd, just the day before, Jerry Ryan, most famous as Seven of Nine on Star Trek Voyager, was born. And that's everything I got for March 1st, 1968, Dan. The future is here now. Photobucket is the photo-saving tool everyone has been looking for. Don't wait for the 23rd century to save your important photos. Use the Photobucket app to automatically save your work. The app backs up every photo and video you take on your smartphone while syncing it all to your desktop, tablet, and other devices. And not to worry, the app works its magic on Android and iOS. Right now, Photobucket is offering one terabyte of storage for $5. Couple that with auto backup and you'll have all the space you need. If your phone has limited space, you don't have to worry because Photobucket has enough space for all those pictures and videos you want to take. Don't forget that Photobucket works with all your social media platforms and allows you to post, text, or email right from your files. Photobucket is everything you need. Don't wait. Start your adventure today. Sign up at photobucket.com and don't forget to use the Dammit Jim code to get a free month. All right, Dana, how about if we do the counts? I'm looking forward to this, Dan. All right, how about the dead crewman count? We had one this week, Galloway. Gone. Puts us up at 46. How about the shirtless Kirk Rip shirt Kirk count? What, three fights? He didn't even, like, get a tear. They must have improved the uh, fabric or something, so we're still stuck at 17, Dan. How about the he's dead count? Nope, so we're still stuck at 14. I'm a doctor, not a fill-in-the-blank. Nothing this week, so we've been at eight for a long time now, it seems. Long time. The supreme being count. Oh, no, no. No one even came close. So uh, zero this week. We are still sitting at 10. So this one's going to be interesting. A violation of the prime directive. Dan, I think there was. And I think it's Kirk. In what scene? All of them. I <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I have a very specific scene, Dana, because I agree with you. He did violate the Prime Directive, but it's because he taught the people how to pronounce the words. Yeah, but do you think that they're going to be able to, just because they know how to say we the people, now they know, you know, how to say all the words? 
Yes, and the next thing, they're going to build a nuclear weapon. So we're both agreeing that there is one violation of the Prime Directive this week, right? Yep, and so that moves us up to nine. All right, how about a taking over the Enterprise count? Nobody took over the Enterprise this week, so so we're still at nine. Even though for me, Dana, this episode had some real holes. There were a few scenes that I really enjoyed, some lines that I really enjoyed. But it was really, it was a lot of fun talking with you about it. Dan, I agree with you. It's not my favorite episode. It's far from my worst. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it in detail. I was curious what you were going to say. So thanks for taking the time to hang out and talk with me on a Sunday night. Sure. And what do we have for next week, Dana? Dan, next week, it's the ultimate computer. All right, Dana, once again, I had a great time. I would, again, like to encourage our listeners to write in or to call. You can reach the Damn It Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. And thanks to all our listeners for writing in and sending comments. And as Dan said, feel free to call and tell us your thoughts on the show or just Star Trek in general. So until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast.com at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. You can also call the Dammit Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for The Ultimate Computer. Enjoy the rest of your week and until we see you again, remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.